Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. My guest is Stuart Murdoch of the band Bell and Sebastian. In the pantheon of rock band Meat Cutes, Bell and Sebastian's is probably one of the weirdest. Stuart, who was the founder of the band, never really had any interest in playing music. I mean, he took piano lessons and played in a couple of recitals. But then in college, when his friends were playing clubs and house parties, he was watching happily from the crowd. He'd be DJing once in a while. Around the beginning of the 90s, though, that changed. Murdoch started to feel exhausted and sore pretty much all the time. He couldn't concentrate. Sleep would come, but it wouldn't help. He'd come down with chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME. Murdoch dropped out of school, stopped running track, stopped DJing, and at home, he started mustering his strength to write songs on the piano. And then on the advice of his doctor, he took a class for unemployed musicians. There, he met Stuart David, and the music they made together eventually became Bell and Sebastian. Got married in a rush to save a kid from being deported. Now she's in love. Oh, 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 I was so touched. I was moved to kick the crutches from my crippled friend. She was not impressed, cause I cured her on the since their debut, Bell and Sebastian Records have made it on literally hundreds of top ten lists. Their second album, 1996's If You're Feeling Sinister, is routinely called one of the best albums of the 90s. These days, Murdoch still fronts the band and still writes music. He has a wife and children, and through all of that, he continues to deal with chronic fatigue. Bell and Sebastian are back with a new album. It's the original soundtrack to Days of Bagnold Summer. It comes out later this month. When Stuart and I talked last year, Bell and Sebastian had just wrapped up releasing a series of EPs called How to Solve Our Human Problems. Let's take a listen to a track from it. It's called Poor Boy. Welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jesse. That's like a that's like a chic song there. Wow, that's uh, that's a compliment. Huge. I have you ever met Nile Rodgers before? I've been very yes. I I uh, a festival last year in Spain or France or somewhere like that or in, in fact Scandinavia, and uh, I watched his set and then just saw him come into the hotel afterwards and I. 
I said, great set, and I shook his hand. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> That's my Niall moment. Maybe like four or five years ago, he had a memoir that came out, and he came on the show. And it was just at the time I recorded the show at my house, and he just came over to my house. And he may be the most charming and magnetic human being I've ever met in my entire life. Like, he's just radiant with pleasantness, I guess, would be the word I would choose. Absolutely, one of those one of those personalities. And uh, actually, my wife, you know, she was a radio presenter for a while. Uh, sorry, we worked on radio, and and she um, interviewed. And so I uh, a few years ago, and I and I went just to just to listen to the stories. He's he's got all the great stories, doesn't he? Yeah, God, does he ever? There's a bit more dance music on your more recent records. Was that a choice that you made? Do you know what? It's not so much a. I guess it is a choice. It's, it's it's maybe it's just the cells in our body. It's our bodies making that choice. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's the kind of the dads in us. You know, we're getting to that stage where we're kind of older now. We just want to dance. We don't. <laughs> you know, we don't care. We don't care what we look like. We don't care what we sound like. We just we just want to before the joints go completely. Um, we just want to move a little bit. I like the idea that you've recommitted yourself to making music for uncles at weddings. <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing you know I go to whenever I'm at a wedding there's always some absolutely stone cold classic that you haven't heard for a while that the, the DJ will play so yeah I like wedding music you were uh, you were before you got ill the sort of process that led to Bell and Sebastian you were like DJing and working at a record store and when you were doing those things, the official cool things of guys that love music and ladies that love music, uh, you weren't thinking like, hmm, maybe I should start one of these bands. It's weird. It never it never, never occurred to me. I never had it in me. And I was just so in love with other people's music. And I, I mean, I tell you what, my taste was always... My, you know, my taste, my radar, and everything was always fully on. I, I would sit night after night, you know, because I roadied a lot as well, and 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 helped other bands out. And I would sit on the stage night after night when great bands, um, you know, came through town. Even when I'd never heard the band, I would know straight away you've got something. You, you know, you're going to make it. You're terrific. Or oh no, these are record company stooges or these, you know, somebody's throwing a lot of money at you guys and you guys are never going to make it. So I, I definitely formed my opinions at that time. When and how did you end up getting uh, or, or starting to suffer from the symptoms of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome? That was about just the end of the 80s. It was... Um, funny the way the decade thing works you know i had a great 80s that's my class <laughs> that's my cl i'll defend the 80s to anyone you know I, it's a classic uh decade for me for, uh, uh, but you know by the end uh, the, the last thing that happened is that acid house uh, happened in britain and um you know so i i, I got into that and you know that affected my djing and all that and it was a great time to be a dj but just at the same time, though, my symptoms of ME started, and so I kind of burned out on a lot of things. And by the end of 1990, I really my energy had gone, and and I'd given up all. Um, you know, I was still I, I was still at college at that time, and I gave up the college, and I gave up my work, and I gave up my athletics, 
and, you know, ended up back at my parents' house. How did the symptoms manifest themselves at first? Just a, just a, almost like a, a car running out of gas, um, you know, or a toy running out of batteries. It was simple as that. And it might sound maybe not too insidious, but it takes a toll out of you mentally. It's a, it's a weird thing to just, you know, this is happening to me. My, my body is, is, something's gone wrong and my, my body's just running down and I can't do any of the things that I used to do. And I'm, I can't keep up with my friends and, um, you know, and the doctor's, can't tell me what's going on and it, it, it definitely messes with your head. He had a stroke at the age of 24 It could have been a brilliant career Painting lines in a school That was too well known Painting lines with a friend Who had gone before She challenged everyone to a fight my father, when I was a kid, worked in the independent living movement, movement with disabled people. And his best friend was paralyzed by polio below the neck. So he, he could move one finger and below the neck and had to use a breathing machine all the time and had a big motorized wheelchair. And his, his name was Ed Roberts. And one of the things that Ed used to talk about was, you know, you have this disability, right? You are living with this disability that is makes your life very different from the people around you. But in a lot of ways, it can be, you know, it can be a power or make you develop a power in a way. And it seems to me like if you had not had this health condition, all of these amazing things that happened in your life might never have taken place. That The fact that you spent years in your early 20s, suffering from this condition, living at home, in a way seems like it was the thing that slowed down your life to the point where you focused on this one thing that you might never otherwise have spent years focusing on, and it, and it might have been the thing that, that led to you becoming a songwriter. Yes, uh, I, I absolutely uh, agree with you. It was the, it was the moment that turned uh, my life upside down. Uh, in 1990, and um, and so much happened. It was it was year zero. Everything, my old personality and the the practical life that I had before was left behind, and it was a blank slate. And I actually I spent uh, quite a lot of time in hospital around that time. I was so debilitated, and when I started to pick up, because it, you know, it did me some good being in the hospital. And finally, when I made it out, I made it back to my parents' house. I knew that I wasn't going to get any worse. I knew that this was the start of looking ahead and that I was mentally positive, uh, even though I had lost, you know, 50 or 60% of my energy at that point. But um, strange things happened. And that was, you know, in that quietness, back in my folks' house. I, I, you know, I started to go to the piano and I started to invent tunes. And I also realised that that I could speak a narrative and that I could turn my thoughts into words and that I could quite easily turn them into tunes. So it was, it, it, it seems like, um, like an obvious thing, you know, for some songwriters to do. It wasn't for me. It, it took step by step. Uh, I suddenly realised I could communicate in this way 
And um, in, in the quietness, I realized I had quite a lot to say that I would never have thought of saying before. You know, your music is usually described as um, indie pop, uh, which I think is a word for things that are song-driven and melodic but aren't folk music and aren't uh, super hard rocking. I-, I know that you loved like and love like just straight-up bubblegum pop music from the 60s, the Archies or whatever. And I wonder if you ever aspired to be a hit songwriter. <laughs> that's a good question. I think in a different time, in a different place, but that's that's the case for so many, so many people that you know, they, wishing they were in in another time. Uh, it's it's fantastic to to think about you know what happened in the the sixties and then, but also the you know the eighties was a great time for pop, especially in Britain. And yeah, we 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 sort of play this game in the group that we we kind of wish somebody would commission us to write pop music for somebody else and 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 we actually go out and we try to write songs for other people we for interesting singers and but um i guess it, you know there's so many musicians and bands and people around these days it's it's a hard gig to get <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you think of a great single pop song like I mean, the one that comes to my mind is I Want You Back, right? But we could talk about a, a chic song, right? We could talk about uh, Freak Out, or as, or as it was originally titled, <laughs> Off. Yeah. Um, those songs are songs that have a very particular emotional idea, like Off. And the lyrics are mostly expressing that one idea there's not a usually a ton of specificity in them they're not often character driven i mean there are certainly specific smash hit great pop songs but mostly it's like you know you send me is just sam cook saying you send me over and over <laughs> that's that's a, one of my favorites it's a beautiful song oh my god is it ever i mean it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written and uh, your songs are all about detail. Like, detail is in every single one of them. And I, I wonder if you ever thought, like, you know what? We're going to write 12 songs, and they're gonna, one's going to be called Dance, Dance, Dance. <laughs> one's going to be called The Power of Love. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think at one time in Britain, there was, there was three songs called The Power of Love all in the charts at the, the same time. <laughs> There was the Huey Lewis. There was Frankie goes to Hollywood, and, and then Jennifer Rush. You know? Um, you know, so so you could be, yeah, you could be right. We, um, I have a friend who who sometimes when I see him in the street, just comes up to me and says, you know, play your music in the sunshine. That's that should be the the, the name of your next. <laughs> and, and and all it all it goes. This is how it goes. Play your music in the sunshine. Everybody feels fine. That's it. <laughs> That's the chorus. Your trouble is you never write any choruses. <laughs> More bullseye after a quick break. Still to come. You asked for the best. You got the best. It's baseball talk with Scottish indie rock legend Stuart Murdoch. It's bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars and used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer, 
Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. The night before his first scene with Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy was a little freaked out. This is my first time acting since a Lifetime movie that I did with Misha Barton. (laughs) (laughs) The stories behind the celebrities. Every Tuesday on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Hi, I'm Janet Varney, and like many of you, brand new sentient robots excluded, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were, too, including folks like comedian Danielle Radford. And of course, all of us, you you take on that theater accent, and our teacher would say, no, that isn't how people talk. Right. Don't do the super theater kid accent. It's the worst. But so when I was doing theater in high school, of course, I immediately was talking about being in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) So join me every week on the JV Club podcast, where I speak with my favorite women artists, innovators, and humans as we reminisce about the past and how it led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Stuart Murdoch of the band Bell and Sebastian. Their latest release, the original soundtrack for the movie Days of Bagnold Summer, is out later this month. I, I want to play another Bell and Sebastian song. This is from uh, the 2003 album Dear Catastrophe Waitress. It's called Piazza, New York Catcher. Um, but, but before we actually hit play on the song, it does seem to be tangentially about a Hall of Fame baseball catcher, Mike Piazza, formerly of the New York Mets. How did you come to write a song (laughs) where that was a reference point? Do you know, I think tangential is the word. And and it's just one of these, it's just one of these nice situations where you've got, you've got a bundle of experiences backed up in your, the back of your brain somewhere and they all tumble out at once. And, and there's, there's different strands. And there was, there was the relationship with, with Marissa, who was then, who was to become my wife, and there was our peripatetic existence, the way that we met in in you know in European or American cities. There was also our our kind of bonding over baseball in the New York Mets, and um, so the, these strands all tied together and and just hit the page. Let's take a listen. And out with me, Miss Private, and we'll sail around the world. I will be off at an end. Many nights of talking in hotel rooms can you take? How many nights of limping round on pagan holidays? Oh, elope with me in private and we'll set something ablaze. A trail for the devil to erase. San Francisco's calling us, the giants and mets will play. Piazza New York, catcher, are you straight or are you gay? We hung about the stadium, we got no place to stay We hung about the tenderloin and tenderly You tell about the saddest book you ever read It always makes you cry, the statue's crying too and Willie May So are you a Mets fan? Yeah, I, 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 do, I do like the Mets ever since um, my friend Nate first took me to a game at Shea back in the late 90s or early 2000s, yeah. I feel like had I not grown up with baseball, I can hardly imagine the amount of work it would take to follow baseball. 
<laughs> it's such a weird sport and very boring. Like, I love baseball. But anytime anyone is criticizing baseball, they're like, it's boring. It's weird. What are they doing? Like, why does the one guy have to hit the ball? All that stuff. Like, why are there long breaks? I, I am just like, yes, you are correct on all fronts. And <laughs> basketball is definitely more fun. Football is amazing and so complicated and uh, takes so much brains. Soccer is so universal, and you could all you need is a, a ball and uh, a, a ball and some garbage cans. Uh, and yes, all of those are true. I have no idea why I like baseball so much. So the idea of picking up baseball as a non-American is just baffling to me. Well, we have we have this game cricket, which is it's it's possibly even less understandable. <laughs> That's true uh, because you know, I understand baseball, and I have tried to understand cricket. And my friend Andy Zaltzman is like the world's foremost cricket comedian, and like I have no idea. I loved. I there's a you know that movie, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, the way the Wes Anderson one, the cartoon, the animation. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, the, he has a he, so he kind of made up this game called Whack Bat, I think it's called, and I think he's riffing on his experience of trying to understand what cricket is because it's a very you know it's a, it's based in Britain the whole the whole film the whole Fantastic Mr. Fox, and um, so it's funny the way that he sort of sends that up. But um, you know, but, uh, you know, baseball. I guess started with the English game of rounders, and then when you guys took it on, uh, you made up your own rules and you refined it and made it a faster game. You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Stuart Murdoch, founder of the band Bell and Sebastian. I think there is also another essential appeal of baseball that I've heard from folks who are casual, very casual baseball fans. Folks who go to a ball game. Uh, but don't necessarily follow a team or whatever. And that is, it is kind of nice to sit there, and if you drink beer, have a beer and a hot dog, and it's kind of pretty, and it doesn't ask that much of you. I think that's exactly it. I, uh, no matter which American city we're in, I just it's one of these things that I do. You know, I like to walk across American cities. I like to run across them when I, well, when I used to have energy. You know, I like to go to church in American cities. I like to meditate in American cities, and I like to watch baseball. And to me, they, they all all these things that I've described, they have an essence of of the meditative about them. They also is an opportunity to see uh, America just relaxing. Just you know, rather than being a tourist, you actually belong in a game, and you be, you know, whereas you belong in church as well. How big of a part of your life is meditation? Um, well, it's become a thing. Yeah, and you know, I, I like. I was just talking to my wife on the, the phone before, and, and I, we were just remarking that when trouble happens or when a problem happens in your life, you know, maybe a bigger thing, then quite often there's a there's a counterpoint to it if you just go looking for it, um, you know, which is sweet. And and then the overall effect is that you through the whole process you sometimes come out being a better person and with a little bit more wisdom and I think the counterpoint to me having the kind of relapse and a difficult time the last three or four years was stumbling back into the kind of the meditation center and and sitting through so many sort of Buddhist classes um, so that's it's definitely become a, a thing and it's seeped into the music too how's it seeped into the music 
Well, you know, even the, the fact that we've called this series of records How to Solve Our Human Problems, that's one of the books that we study. That's one of the books that we read from uh, in the particular uh, centre that I go to. I, they're, they're always reading from that book. And I, at just one point I realised, well, that's what we have to call the the record. I'm going to pinch that title. And, and I asked... I asked the, the the writer of the book Geshe Kelsang if if that would be okay and and he thought it was a good thing. Stuart Murdoch, thank you so much for joining me on Bullseye. It was really great to get to talk to you. Thank you, Jesse. It was great to talk to you. Stuart Murdoch, Bell and Sebastian. The original soundtrack to Days of Bagnold Summer is out later this month. You can buy it. You can stream it. You can ask your smart speaker to put it on. Probably, whatever you do <laughs> to listen to music these days. Here's a song. From that record, it's called Sister Buddha. Sister Buddha takes the all-night bus. Sister Buddha looking for the thing that makes her buzz. Sister Buddha wakes up far from home and all she knows. There's an itch that she's dying to scratch her face to close her skin and Step across the lonely threshold of your selfish mind And embrace the loving goodness of your humankind And if God won't show her face That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org, world headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where this week our office was cleaved in two. Okay, I hope to use the rock rape form of cleaved. Do not write letters. We are now overlooking MacArthur Park from two different directions. It just got too crowded in here. Very exciting. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's away from the office. Raghu Manavalan is filling in for him. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We had help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, known as DJW. Thanks to Dan for sharing it with us. He's shared some of the music that he's made for the show on Bandcamp. Uh, you can search for DJW there. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to them and Memphis Industries for letting us use it. Uh, go get their records. They're great. We've got almost two decades of past Bullseye interviews available for you to listen to for free. You can find them all at our website at MaximumFun.org. You can also find uh, the last few years' worth on our YouTube page. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Um, if you're an indie rock person... I had a fun conversation with Craig Finn one time from The Hold Steady. They've got a new record that I've heard good things about. Uh, we have a beautiful interview with uh, Nico Case, where we talk about wildlife a lot. That's my memory of it anyway. Uh, listen, find out if it's right. You can also subscribe to Bullseye in your favorite podcast app. Again, it's free, so why not do that? We're also on Facebook and Twitter, at Bullseye on Twitter, and Facebook.com slash Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.